Well, um, I mentioned earlier this morning about um, the uh, poster that I saw on the station at Gatwick Airport. Somebody asked me if I jetted in from somewhere today, and the answer is no. I came from Eastbourne in East Sussex, which is hardly jettable. But um, <coughs> uh, Heather and I are in sort of in transit down there. We've been doing that for 10 years, really. And uh, we have um, a little base in Pimlico where we are part of St. Uh, Simon's Church in Chelsea. Um, some of you may know Mike Neville, who's the vicar there, and we've been working with him and helping him. And we are now actually about to complete this transition that's taken us 10 years from London down to Sussex, and uh, in July, God willing, we'll make that uh, final move. Um, so that's where I came from this morning, and um, uh, it's good to be able to uh, come back into London after a few days out and realize what a different environment it is. Life in Eastbourne is a little more um, leisurely, as you may imagine. It has a sort of image of being a retirement mecca, and that's because it is. And um, uh, the local paper was saying the other day that uh, actually only a third of the population are of retirement age. But when you think of it, a third is quite a large proportion. So uh, people say to me, why on earth do you go to Eastbourne? So part of the answer is because they're ready for us. <laughs> anyway, enough of that. Let's, uh, let's go back to Colossians chapter 1 and uh, the reading which we've just had. And uh, we're going to think about this theme of being rooted and uh, built up in Christ. Coming into London, when you've been away for a few days or weeks, um, you realize just how busy it all is in terms of building and the number of cranes that there are in London and the number of building sites and the number of construction uh, uh, sites that are, that are around us. I remember a few years back when the... Uh, the um, uh, collapse financially, the economic crisis occurred, that one of the signs of it, we were then um, at St. Helens in Bishopsgate, one of the signs of it was as you went into the city um, week by week, you saw a lot of the building sites in mothballs really shut down until a more favorable climate appeared. And of course, in due time that did appear. And now we have um, the shard and the pinnacle and all those things which go back 10, 15 years, were on the drawing board, but nobody quite knew whether they were ever, ever going to happen because of the difficulties of financing them. Um, and so uh, it raises in my mind that idea of how you know, things can be on hold, and um, uh, this idea of being rooted and built up is of having everything clearly um, planned out, but actually making that plan work by the building being constructed, or it may help you to think of it a little more in terms of what I've called in the notes here, spiritual Peter Pans. As you know, Peter Pan is the boy who never grew up, and that can be uh, an entertaining sort of Christmas fantasy, but the boy who never grew up is a massive tragedy in the real world. And yet I wonder sometimes if, as God looks at us and our um, slow progress perhaps, uh, he thinks of us sometimes as spiritual Peter Pans, that we are taking a long time to grow and develop into maturity, and uh, that the building set sites of our lives as Christians can be spiritually mothballed for a while. Um, there hasn't perhaps been much progress for a long time. That's one reason why I need to keep coming back to the stimulus of these verses, because they stop you from thinking, yes, I'm, I'm all right, I've arrived, I'm ticking along they present us instead with a much more compelling and 
fulfilling and exciting image of progress to maturity, rooted and being built up in him. Now, we saw earlier this morning then that that is the fruit of living in Christ, walking in Christ. And uh, we saw that a walk requires a commitment and continuing action and effort if we're going to make it to the destination. And that, I think, is the connecting idea to our part two of the theme um, of Colossians. So back in chapter 2, verse 7, rooted and built up in him. Now, of course, that relates us back to what we saw in the first talk. Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in him, rooted and built up in him. Two pictures, then, of the normal Christian life. Uh, very obvious images, rooted like a plant in the soil. It's got to have good roots if it's going to be fruitful. And uh, you don't get fruit unless you've got a well-rooted plant. Or like a building rising to completion that's solidly grounded on a well-laid foundation and secure as a result. It's interesting in these building sites, isn't it? For ages, nothing seems to be happening. But what they're doing is actually going down and down and down to build the foundation. And then suddenly... Once that's complete, the building seems to rise really very quickly. Now, the normal Christian life, then, is one of that sort of continuous growth, but it means that we've got to make time and use effort to put in good, solid foundations to be rooted in Christ and uh, to be built on Him. That's the core of the teaching. And uh, in this section, 124 to 25, Paul uh, shares with us, his readers, his own apostolic purpose and priorities, and he teaches us how they can be fulfilled, whether it was in first century Colossae or in 21st century London. And so um, this idea of being motivated to want to be mature is important. Sometimes we talk about mature Christians. I, I try not to use that. I try to use the term maturing Christians because I don't think any of us is mature in terms of being like Christ. That's the full measure of maturity. But hopefully we're all making progress towards that goal. So it's not that there are mature Christians and immature Christians. We're all immature, but we are maturing, we hope. Uh, and if we're following God's instructions here, and if we're seeking to live and walk in Christ, that is what he will be doing for us. So the first point, I think, is that our mission is progress to maturity. And I say our because although Paul is teaching by his apostolic example, there is a very clear corporate focus throughout this letter. Uh, we all have a part to play. He's involving the whole church, which is the fruit of his ministry indirectly because it was planted from Ephesus, but he's involving the whole church in seeing that they have a part to play in his ministry. And he wants the Colossian Christians to be aware of the responsibility that they have for their spiritual growth and well-being, personally, individually, uh, but also for the fact that this church is to be a church which is grounded in Christ, rooted and being built up in him. Because the church, and Ephesians teaches this more clearly, but the church is the manifestation in time of what God is going to do in eternity. So the church is now the reconciled body of Christ. God has brought people, Jews and Gentiles, and now in the 21st century from every tribe and kindred and nation into the body of Christ. We're all one in Christ Jesus. And the church 
manifests in time the wisdom of God in the gospel and demonstrates in time what is the ultimate purpose for the whole universe, the eternal kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes in power to reign. And so that's what Paul is concerned about. He says in 2.1, I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you, Colossae, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not met me personally. So he doesn't just say, you know, it's about my church. He says, I'm concerned for the church, the church universal, we might call it, the church around the Mediterranean world as it was in the first century, across the world as it is today. And the universal church, of course, operates in local church families. That's the fundamental unit in the New Testament. But local churches, like this one, are placed in cities, and cities are placed in regions, and regions are placed in nations, so that we are to share concerns for one another's development to maturity. It's not as though we are sort of competing supermarkets along the high street. We are all one in Christ Jesus. So wherever there is a gospel church, a Bible-centered, Christ-honoring church, there our brothers and sisters need our prayers and support and encouragement. And that sense of working together as the church of God in our world, in our culture, is, I think, enormously important. And I think it shows us that a partnership of strong local churches can have much greater impact on an area than just one congregation. So we do want to partner as much as possible. Of course, we've got to build our own congregation and we've got to seek to serve the Lord as well as we can together. But let's not be isolationist. Where there are other gospel brothers and sisters with the same message and the same concern, here in London, uh, I think it would be great if there was more sense of working together and the heartbeat of the mission of Christ being translated into and through the churches into our great city with all its many, many needs. So it's not just that maturity is seeing me grow into godliness, that's major significance, or even seeing the church become uh, stronger and plant other churches. All of those are great things. But he wants to see growth in maturity in these three dimensions that I've put down in the notes here. Firstly, everyone individually. Look with me, if you will, please, at 128. Uh, he is the one we proclaim. Literally, originally, him we proclaim. Emphasis is on the he, him. Admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Now, there is Paul's goal then. That's the apostolic goal. We are in the apostolic succession, not through the laying on of hands on anybody, but because we preach the same gospel, we believe the same truth, we worship the same Lord, and we are, in that sense, the fruit of the apostolic ministry. So he's saying, this is what my concern is, and by implication, what our concern should be in the normal Christian life. And the concept is, at one and the same time, very personal, because he says, teaching everyone, that is, everyone, you and me as individuals. I mean, we can teach one another, but you and I are responsible for what we do with that teaching. And it's also totally inclusive. We are wanting to present and teach everyone with all wisdom. So everyone. Now, that means in the original, Jews and Gentiles, 
slaves and free, men and women. He's going to talk a little bit about that later in the letter. But if you just flip the page to 3.11, he makes the point very clearly. Chapter 3, verse 11. Here, that is in the church, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. So maturity is not the preserve of a spiritual elite who usually turn out to be self-selecting anyway and who are following some sort of human guru. Now, maturity is the birthright of every Christian believer just because, well, as that verse says, we are in Christ. Christ is all, and he is in all of us. And that is the only place where maturity can be found. So, as we apply this truth, first of all, to you and to me as individuals, what am I responsible before God for? Well, for using all the resources that he's given me in order to draw upon the riches of Jesus, the power and grace of God, the enabling of the Spirit to make me more like Jesus, to make me grow to maturity. Now, for each of us, there will be different areas that we've got to work on to do that. Some of us, by nature, may be more impetuous. We may have temper problems that we have to control. Some of us um, need to focus our thinking more. We tend to be too widely spread. I don't want to go through a whole list because you'll know what in your own heart what you're grappling with. But every one of us individually should be seeking that this apostolic goal may happen in our lives, that we might be presented fully mature in Christ. That's a huge, huge aim, isn't it? And it's the goal of all our ministry and all our mission to bring everyone within its range to a personal maturity, which is to grow as close to the image of God in Christ as possible in our time here on earth. Now, it takes time. So don't get discouraged um, when you realize that there's a long way to go. Um, uh, you know, when I was... Um, uh, 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 when, when our children were at home, we, we gave them a little bit of the garden when they were young children. And the temptation was always to go out and see if the seeds were growing, you know, pull up the plants and look at the roots and see if it's actually growing. Um, sometimes Christians are like that. They sort of think, oh, I don't seem to see much fruit yet. I'm not growing very much. Well, plants grow at different stages. Some plants grow very quickly and suddenly flower. Others seem to take ages. That doesn't matter. They're, dif they're different. But if they are rooted, if they have the necessary water and nourishment and so on, they will grow. It's the natural thing to grow. And it's the natural thing in the normal Christian life to grow and to be growing into this maturity of Christ-likeness, fully mature in Christ. So may I ask you this weekend to renew your commitment to that with the Lord. Say, Lord Jesus, I do want to be more like you. I do want you to deal with those things that stop me from that. You know what they are. Lord, please help me. I want to renew my commitment to be rooted in you and as a result to be built up in you. But we're not lone rangers. So secondly, it's everyone corporately. Chapter 2, verse 2. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding. There's the maturity um, 
vocabulary again, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. So here is the focus now on the readers and the congregation and the other congregations that will read this letter. And Paul's mission is to bring these little churches to the position whereby they have, well, he describes it, doesn't he, as the full riches of complete understanding. Now, why is he doing this? Well, he's putting heart into them. You see in verse 2, encouraged in heart. The heart is the control center of your personality. Um, we, we tend to use heart in our sort of um, cultural imagery as a romantic image. So when it's Valentine's Day, the shops are full of cards with hearts on them. Because for us, heart is romantic, it's love, it's relational. Um, actually, in the Bible, the heart is not emotional and is not um, romantic in that sense. If you want a center for the emotions in the Bible, it's either the kidneys or the gut, but that doesn't look very good on Valentine's Day cards, so we, we tend to go, um, you know, for our own version of it. But our problem is that then we think heart, feelings, emotional, touchy-feely. No, the heart is the control center of your personality. That's where you take your decisions. That's where you determine the way your life is going. And that's why he says, I think, in this verse, well, I want them, therefore, to be strengthened. Encourage means put courage in. I want them to be the, the, the control center of their personalities to be strengthened in love. And the corporate nature of this is that we can encourage one another more and more to do that. Now, he knows how important these two ingredients of love and truth are for that to be happening and how essential it is to integrate them together. And so he says that they may have the full riches united in love and the full riches of understanding, that is, of the truth of God, the doctrine that we were thinking about of the Christian life. And uh, this phrase um, that he talks about uh, them being united so that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love is more literally the phrase knit together, which you get across the page in verse 19 of chapter 2, repeated. They've lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and knit together, united by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. So you see, 2.19 is saying Jesus is the source of unity in the church and he is the one who gives to the body the strength of its ligaments and sinews so that it can grow and be strong and active. And it's his love for us, reflected in our love for one another because we're together in Christ, that is the heart of the experience that he's wanting for these people he's writing to. That's what keeps us together. That's what keeps us moving towards those two goals back in 2-2, united in love and the full riches of complete understanding, the full assurance of the knowledge of God. So we do need one another in order to accomplish that. And uh, I think that's um, something that a weekend like this, you know, when we have those discussion groups, um, as we listen to one another, let's not just sort of think about what am I going to say. Let's really try and understand where we are, one another. 
so that we can pray for one another, so that we can support one another, so that next week we can say, how are you doing with that situation that we discussed back last Saturday? It's not intrusiveness, that's fellowship, that's love, that's being members of the one body of Christ. It's an enormous privilege, especially in a city like ours where there are so many people who are so lonely, so isolated. So sometimes I think we miss this ingredient in our progress to maturity. We are quite strong on the knowing the truth better, but I'm not so sure that we're as strong on being united in love. Being grounded in truth, yes, that's really important. We say it comes from knowing our Bibles better, and that's 100% right, provided we see that our encouragement and love for one another in 101 Christ-like ways, that is what will keep us pressing deeper in our understanding and knowledge. Our understanding and knowledge of what? Well, in knowledge of the mystery of God, verse 2 says. And what is the mystery of God? Well, we're told several times the mystery is Christ. Just look at 126. The mystery that's been kept hidden for ages and generations, what is it? End of verse 27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So it doesn't say, does it, that we are simply to follow the full riches of complete understanding of the scriptures, that's the way, but it's not the end in itself. The end in itself is the full riches of understanding that make us grow into maturity like Jesus, and that is expressed in the love that we have for one another. He's the source of all that maturity, all that godly growth. So that uh, means, you see, that, well, sometimes people say to me, we have a group Bible study uh, during the week, and um, we perhaps try to listen to one another's needs and to bear one another's burdens and to um, grow in love for one another, but we don't really have much time to do that because the study takes the whole time. And I think there's something wrong with that. Because if the study takes all the time when we meet together and we have no time to share our hearts and to pray for one another and to support one another in love, we'll end up as being all head and no heart Christians and that is not maturity in Christ. Both of them are vital. I'm not playing down one against the other. I'm saying they're both essential. Truth that leads to love and love that deepens and actualizes truth. And that's what produces not just cerebral conviction, but deeply felt rich assurance of God's self-revelation in Christ. So we need to work together for this because otherwise we'll deprive ourselves of a major means of grace, which is belonging to the church. And at chapter 2, verse 4, we shall see what happens if we are not maturing in truth and love. Verse 4, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Because if we're not growing in truth and love as the normal Christian life, we'll be sitting ducks for the plausible arguments which the Colossians were giving way to that you need something extra. You need something more fulfilling, more enriching than you have in the gospel of Christ crucified. But ministry like this is always costly and it means that we've got to commit to one another because we love one another 
as Christ has loved us. And we want to see one another fulfilled and growing. It's one of the most joyous things in the world to see a friend growing in grace and being able to contribute to them and pray for them and love them. And they do the same for you. And the fellowship within the church is the most wonderful statement about the truth of the gospel. But notice that it is sacrificial. That's the third point. Progress to maturity, everyone sacrificially. Because if we believe in every member ministry, which I do, that's clearly taught in the Bible, and if this mission of maturity is the goal and purpose of the church's life, then Paul's example is very, very challenging, isn't it? Look at verse 24 of chapter 1. I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Joyful suffering for the sake of the church. Now, in one sense, this is peculiar to Paul, the apostle, of course. He received a special commission and stewardship from God's hand to be the apostle of the gospel to us Gentiles. He's writing from prison, and the fact that he's in prison is a direct result of his gospel mission. But that doesn't stop him for a moment. Joyful suffering puts him in the footsteps of Jesus, and he sees his own sacrificial service as an extension of Christ's work for him and for his body. So only full assurance of gospel truth and only the daily experience of gospel love will enable us as gospel servants to suffer joyfully for the benefit of others. But what a proof of reality it is. Now, we don't have to suffer very much as Christians at the moment in this country, but think of it in this way, putting yourself out in order to help others. I mean, he was put out extremely. Here he is locked up in jail, chained to a Roman soldier. We won't have to face that in all probability. But we do have to put ourselves out for others if the church is going to grow. It's no good sitting on the sidelines and criticizing it and say, why, why doesn't this happen and why doesn't that happen? What are you doing about it? We need to be, in terms of verse 29, strenuously contending with all the energy that Christ so powerfully works in us. It's a very interesting verb that, verse that. Because this building up one another, he says, and this is his ministry of course, is strenuously contending. There are two verbs that are used in the original, toil and struggle. Toil is the hard, back-breaking work, manual labor work that you see the guys doing, you know, uh, mending the roads and all that sort of stuff. And struggle comes from the wrestling arena where two athletes pit their strength against one another in order to win the contest. And those two ideas of toil and struggle are translated here as strenuously contend. And he's saying it is a struggle to bring maturity in our own lives and in the lives of others. And if it was just that, a matter of strenuously contending, well, we'd probably decide to give up now and go home. But look at the end of verse 29. With all the energy that Christ so powerfully works in me. That's where it comes from, you see, in Christ. There's the normal Christian life. Outwardly and inwardly, the mission for maturity takes everything you've got, but then Christ gives you everything you need. And we wouldn't be here this morning if that were not the case. All the building occurs because of his energy, which is so powerfully enabling us. 
And it's the Christ who lives within us by his spirit who gives us the ability to get the job done personally, corporately, sacrificially. So now in our last 10 minutes, let's look at the second point. Our mission is progress to maturity. God's means is proclamation of the mystery. In point one, we saw how the focus was individual and then corporate. But I wonder if you noticed a key phrase that's repeated in both the sections of, um, of our passage, which actually takes us to the core of the teaching. It's there in 127. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. And then he says the mystery is Christ. And it's there in 2.2. In order that they, at the end of the verse, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. So it is proclamation of Christ, who is the mystery, which is God's chosen means to bring God's people to maturity, rooted and built up in him. And that's why verse 8, 28 begins with that magnificent statement, him we proclaim. And... Uh, it's the proclamation of the truth of who Christ is that is the magnificent means that God gives to enable us to grow into his likeness. Let's just track that back through the end of chapter 1 for a moment. Look at the centrality of Christ. Yes, we've done that, but what about the apostolic focus on that centrality? How does it work? Well, pick it up at 125. He's talking about serving the church through his suffering. And he says, I have become its, that's the church's servant, by the commission God gave me. So God called him to do it. He didn't choose it. The church didn't choose him. God sent him to do this. To present to you the word of God in its fullness. There is his apostolic ministry. To present to you the word of God in its fullness. That is to fully preach the full message that God has spoken. Well, what do you mean by that, Paul? It's a great phrase, but what content does it have? Well, the next but couple of verses teach us. It is the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. Now, this word mysterion, mystery, means something that was hidden and unknowable until God revealed it. So it's not a mystery like, you know, um, uh, Colonel Mustard with the candlestick in the library, that sort of mystery. It's not like that. But it's something which was hidden, and until God pulled back the curtain and revealed it to us, there was no way that we could know it. But now it's an open secret. It's not discovered by human research. It's revealed by God's word. That was the mystery for generations. No one knew how it's going to work out, but now we do because Jesus has come. Verse 27, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles, the nations, the glorious riches of this mystery. It's a wonderful phrase that, isn't it? Not just the riches, but the glorious riches. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing that God has done. And what is this mystery? Christ. In you now, the hope of glory in the future. See how comprehensive that is? 
He is the heart of the gospel. All the secrets of God in his inscrutable wisdom down the centuries have now come to their fruition and their revelation by divine agency through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the center of all the scriptures. He is the point of God's revelation. And God has chosen to reveal it. Verse 27, chosen to make it known among the nations. Um, and those two qualities of riches and glory underline its origin and its focus in God himself. And that's the great build-up to the climax. Christ, the Christ of chapter 1 that we saw in the first session. Christ in you, the hope of glory in the future. Well, there's no disappointment in that climax, is there? So the apostolic focus is on the transforming power of the gospel, the word of God, and the most intimate personal relationship that it generates. The knowledge of Christ in personal, relational terms. Christ, the ruler of the cosmos. Christ, the firstborn from the dead, in every one of his believing people. And we are able to walk in Christ because we have received him as Savior and Lord. So not only are we in Christ, but miracle of miracles, Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Present experience, he's in you now. Future certainty, he will be with us and in us and through us in all the future way in this world and in the world to come. So let's keep those things in mind. We know that Christ is for us because of his atoning death on the cross. But he's alive forevermore to live within us by the gift of his spirit. So that the miracle of the new birth is that the eternal life of Christ is planted in our mortal bodies. And that present experience is what gives sure and certain hope of glory in the life of the world to come. That's an amazing goal, isn't it? The apostolic focus. And it means, of course, that we have totally adequate resources uh, to begin to live this sort of life day by day. So let's come lastly to chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 again. The mystery of God, end of verse 2, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments, which, as we'll see this afternoon, were arguments about Jesus not being the one who had all the treasures, not being sufficient. And it leads us, as we close uh, this study, to see that the corporate context of our passage is really important because it's only in Christ that we can become whole, complete, mature individually, and only in him that we shall one day be perfect. But that means the resource for our lives in this world and in the world to come is 100% sufficient. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Do you remember 119? God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell, permanent residence, in Jesus. So this cosmic Christ is the one in whom all the resources of wisdom and knowledge are to be found. And as we finish, I hope it broadens your horizon a bit. You know, this Christian life is not just about you and me and our little lives at a little point in time. Growing to maturity in Christ personally, 
even corporately, is only a microcosm which reveals the destiny of the macrocosm, that everything will find its fulfillment in Christ. Creation itself came into existence in Christ. And restoration is only possible in Christ. And the new heavens and the new earth to which we look forward are only possible because of Christ. It is literally the complete, well, the, 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 the literal translation is uh, the complete thesaurus of hidden wisdom and knowledge. It's the complete encyclopedia, if you like, the totally sufficient reference book. It's all in Jesus. There is nothing beyond him, nothing greater than him. And all knowledge is thinking Christ's thoughts after him. So in Christ, we share all the treasures of God-given insight into the mysteries of the cosmos and into human destiny. And we live in a world that hasn't a clue about that because the world can never explain the world. It's only the word of God that can explain the world. And as we discover the treasures of his wisdom and knowledge, what was hidden is now accessible to everyone who is rooted in Christ, conversion, and being built up in Christ, progress to maturity. That's the full assurance that the truth is true and that the glory to which we look forward is secure. There's no plan B. There's no other way of finding it. Him we proclaim that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So why would the building site of your Christian life be mothballed? Why would it be inactive? Why would you be content to be a Peter Pan when these riches of God are available to us all. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this amazing gift of your word. Thank you that it is the greatest treasure that the world can afford. And thank you that it is something that focuses entirely upon Christ who is the wisdom and truth and power of God. And we thank you, Lord, that our gospel is not some thought-up attempt to solve the problems of the world by human ingenuity. We thank you that it is the revelation of the hidden mystery, which is Christ, and then Christ in you, and then Christ the hope of glory. And so we pray that you will help us to be making that progress. Make us all maturing Christians, we pray. Help us to do that individually. Help us to nurture one another corporately, especially in the discussion times that we have and the prayer times together. Help us to be willing to go the extra mile to do that, to put ourselves out for one another so that together as a church we can put ourselves out for the lost world around us and seek to build bridges of love and truth into the lives of others. And thank you that the proclamation of the mystery is what keeps us going, that Christ is central, that all the resources come from him, that the toiling and the struggling is with all his energy that so powerfully works in us. And we pray that you'll help us to access those totally adequate resources so that we're not seduced by plausible arguments, but we stand firm, rooted, and built up in Christ. 
And we ask this, Lord, because we long to bring glory to your name. We want to be thankful for all your incredible mercy and love to us. Please help us to mean business in our own Christian lives and please empower us to grow and grow into the likeness of the Lord Jesus. We ask it for his name's sake. Amen.